Hey everyone, my name is Yarrow and you're listening to the Daydream Rose podcast. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad we're spending a little bit of time together in these difficult times and I'm really excited to bring you this episode. I spoke to Lara Valeda Vesta last year, so it's been quite some time and it feels like a whole universe away. But when I listened back and edited the recording this morning, I really realized that I'm bringing this out at exactly the right time. Lara has so much wisdom and love to share. For these times, I highly recommend you check her work out and support her if you can. And yeah, I'm just excited. I'm, I was feeling a bit guilty that it took so long to publish this after recording it. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes time isn't very linear and, and maybe that's just how it was meant to be. But we spoke about so many things that I feel are really relevant today. So we spoke about myth as healer, about living in ceremony, about the magic of naming yourself and rites of passage as death, death transformations, amongst many other things. So yeah, I really hope you enjoy this episode and maybe connect with Lara on Instagram. I'm going to link to everything in the show notes. A few updates from me. I'm having a really slow week. Been a bit achy and exhausted, and so I've been resting even more. We also had a few sweet walks with the dogs at the beach by ourselves, which was nice. And I can't believe it's the first of May. That's really just totally blowing my mind. Um, it feels really strange to be in spring right now, and in other ways, it does make sense. And I'm glad that we're not going through this period of time in winter because that might be even more difficult but I'm just trying to connect with the spirit of May Day, thinking about workers and workers' rights today, about Beltane and the pagan, pagan roots of this holiday. I think what I'm going to do tonight, so I'm recording this intro in the morning, what I'm going to do tonight is just to lay, light some candles, do a bit of self-massage and I've been working with just really simple tarot spreads and the one I think I'll do today is just four simple questions. The, four, the first one being, what is my role in this? Um, and then the second one being, what am I grieving? The third one, what does my body need? And then the fourth one being, what is my anchor? And then I started my little belt handmade ritual this morning by clearing out my closet a bit been thinking about how I could really bring in workers' rights in what I'm doing with with myself and my ritual today. Um, and so I've been really kind of touching the clothes that I already have. I made a commitment last week for the new moon to not buy new things anymore and to give up flying, which I will share more about when I've been thinking about it more. But right now that just feels good. And I'm going to make a small donation to... Um, an organization that supports um, garment workers and I might start sewing a dress for myself rather than buying something new. I have a bit of fabric and I have a pattern that I've been meaning to use for ages and I just want to learn more about the process of how my things are made um, as a way to embody kind of, yeah, embody and explore more with how I value this labor and how often it's really undervalued and how I have contributed in many ways to a lot of suffering um, by buying fast fashion, for example, and by buying into the idea that I need those kinds of things and they're disposable. There's somewhere in a landfill 
now, which is quite sad. So I don't want to make this too sad. I think it could be quite a joyful ritual, just really connecting with what I already have in my home right now, which is likely a place I will spend a lot more time in in the near future. So it feels good to do a bit of tending today and to really think about all the workers I'm in solidarity with, those that have become before me, those that have been fighting for our rights for a really long time, and to keep them in my heart. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. Oh yeah, one more thing. It's silly me. Um, I have announced in the last episode that I'm going to offer a Pay What You Can program in May, which I'm still doing. It's starting on the 22nd of May, so it's a few weeks away. And it's called Unravel. I'm keeping it super simple. It's about tending to grief and transformation through breathwork and ritual and writing. And it will be a six-week cocoon where you get an email <clears throat> with um, some journaling prompts and a ritual idea every week. And then three times every other week we'll meet for a call to do some breathwork together um, and explore what has come up. So it's really super simple. You don't need a ton of headspace or energy or money to do this right now, but it might be a nice way to come together and process what's happening a little bit. And like I said, that's available to all Patreons. Pledges start at $3 and I'll link to the program page with more information in the show notes as well. Okay, again, thank you so much for listening. Wishing you a beautiful day. If you're celebrating, wishing you lots of ease and little pockets of joy in that. Um, yeah, thank you. Hey everyone. As you know, I always say that I feel so lucky about the conversations that I get to have, but I really mean it. It's a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. I'm back in Scotland and I'm speaking to Lara Relia da Vesta, which I've been looking forward to for a long time. And it hasn't actually practically been that long. But what even our timelines in the world of magic and connection. So there's that. Um, I first came across Lara's work, I think about a year ago, very likely on a podcast. And then this summer, I kind of, it came back into my world just at the right time, as these things tend to do. And I had one of those things that I'm sure you listeners can relate to, where you connect with someone in some way, you listen to like one interview or you read one little Instagram thing and then you obsessively search out anything that you can learn about that person. So that's what I've done. And I became a Patreon. I started one of her courses, the power class, which I really love. And I'm just excited about Lara's work. Um, she's also an artist. Um, she's writing really beautiful books. Uh, no, 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 wait. This is just not cutting it. They are really, really beautiful. Um, and what's so cool about them is that they're kind of, even the word handwritten doesn't really cut it either. They're just kind of illustrated in the most magical way. So there's no printed word is what I'm trying to say, which really blows my mind. I would love to do that, but I um, have a complicated relationship with my own handwriting. <laughs> and I imagine that there's a lot of pressure when you begin a page and you have so much to say, and then you misspell something but anyway I'm sorry I think this is getting a bit waffly Laura I'm so happy and excited that you're here I have so many questions and I'm really grateful for your time and energy and all the work that you do in the world oh thank you so <laughs> much and thank you for that wonderful introduction I loved it I'm so glad that we have this connection it feels very synergistic to be 
sitting here with you across the globe. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. So one thing that I always like to ask as a first question is where you are in the world right now, what nature is like around you so that our listeners can kind of imagine a little bit how this conversation has come to be. Mm, well, I am in Portland, Oregon, and oh, the season is upon us here. Uh, the leaves just all changed color in the last week, and they're, they're starting to fly around. I'm looking out at my garden, and I have three mullein sentinels out there that um, the woodpeckers like to come and, and eat the seeds. And then I have a giant mugwort that I grew from seed planted last winter actually and um, the goldfinches come in and eat those seeds so it's a seedy time I guess <laughs> a seedy time of year mm -hmm. um, definitely cool in this last week and fresh and we've had these really lovely cold nights and warm days and that's about to end because there's rain in the forecast and then it will rain for like six months <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm getting ready for a similar kind of situation in Scotland. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I feel you. Um, this is maybe like a big question and you can totally take this anywhere you like, but I'm wondering how you would describe your work. And I, uh, as I'm asking this, I want to say, I think sometimes it's really difficult to like land on specific words or titles, even if you will. Um, but if I met you in a cafe, what would you say to me about what you're doing? <laughs> I'd laugh. <laughs> uh, this is the question of a lifetime, right? It really is. How do we describe our work? And so often with magical people, it's multiple. We're doing so many things simultaneously. So um, I'm a writer and an artist and an educator. That's generally mm -hmm. what I say. Um, I was a university professor for a time and then became very sick and um, will not be returning to that work. It just has come really clear to me in the last couple of years, even as I've healed and come into more equilibrium, that um, my work is circles outside of academia. And, um, and so I pursue my love and my interest, which is oh, folklore and mythology and ritual practice and the runes and um, obscure things like etymology and Old Anglo-Saxon and Old Icelandic languages. And, and then I share it. Um, I really just follow what I love. And then I invite people to, to share my path. Um, not as a prescriptive path, but as an invitation into your own path and work, your own inspiration. As you mentioned, I, um, I do a lot of typewritten writing. I don't want to say that I, <laughs> I don't do that, but I also work a lot by hand. I have a book called The Moon Diva's Guidebook, which started me on that process. That was written at the very beginning of what would be a decade of illness. And, um, and now I'm working on a Another, well, I'm working on more than one book, but, um, but the other handwritten book is Dark Goddess, which is about death transitions. The Moon Diva's Guidebook was really focused on um, all life transitions, and I was at a really different place. I, I see my journey as being one of initiation, and I've come out the other side, and I've, I've been someplace else over the last several years in particular, and so that is coming together in the Dark Goddess book, which is about the really challenging transitions that we have to face and how we can find empowerment in those difficult 
transitions. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> that makes so much sense to me. It's very beautiful to listen to. Um, my next question kind of goes a little bit more in the direction of storytelling. Um, and I want to say that I would just really love how you talk about your past and the things you've experienced in the last few years. And I really honor um, intentional, empowered storytelling as such a high art form because sometimes what I'm where I'm running into resistance is if if it is su- suggested to me that I reframe something that's been difficult or traumatic in a very um, simplistic way too soon I feel there's often just anger and grief to work through first before I can say and this has been a lesson and this is how this has grown me and maybe I see this as post-traumatic growth or something like that and so I think because that is something that happens sometimes in medical systems sometimes in families sometimes in just the collective I guess I'm still finding it a bit awkward and difficult to sometimes, you know, tell stories in a way that has actually felt empowering to me, but also kind of illustrating how that's been a journey or a conclusion that I needed to come to in my own time, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. So I love the work that you're doing around that. And it feels very inviting and open and spacious and very non-dogmatic and I would love to hear more about how you came to that place and also just um I'm not on Instagram anymore but I do check people out before I interview them obviously love that you're calling yourself a disability witch and would love to hear more <laughs> about that as well <laughs> oh yes disability um well that was a big part of coming into this coming into this space of being able to reframe my story um I have a progressive chronic illness that really um, took everything, almost everything away from me um, over many years of misdiagnosis, being dismissed, being marginalized, not being believed. And um, I was finally diagnosed in 2016 after collapsing. And, um, And I spent the better part of two years in either homebound or bedridden with a few exceptions. And um, in that time found out I have myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is known as chronic fatigue syndrome. And, um, and found out that there's really, (laughs) there's really nothing in the medical community where I live. I had to wait a year to see a specialist And um, they were operating on one level. And then I found out that part of the cause was toxic mold in my environment. And so that created a whole different um, kind of initiation, which was the purging of all of our, all of our worldly possessions. I have a family, I have three children and, um, and we had to move twice because of toxic mold and get rid of everything we owned. And after we moved into a safe house last year, I became severely ill. So through this whole time, I'd been practicing and doing work and putting myself out there and really working with my ancestors. And that's where the word dis comes from. Instead of dis being, you know, not abled, disabled, um, I saw dis, dis are the disier, the goddesses, the sacred grandmothers of the tradition, and they are your ancestral grandmothers who stand behind you, and they want to take care of you and help you out and support you. And so I thought, well, what if this is 
disability? What if, and I'd been playing a lot with this idea of illness as an initiatory process, reading many stories of shaman sickness in other cultures, and of course, with so much broken in um, the Northern European pre-Christian spiritual traditions, it's really hard to figure out what our ancestors thought of disability. But we do know that different people often came into contact with magical powers through really challenging processes of initiation. And I found a story in the Northern European lore, the story of Golvig, that, that really played into this. And, and then I decided to just claim it, to claim it as this is an initiatory process. My DCR are helping me to untangle the knots in my weird, in my fate, so that I can come more fully into who I'm meant to be. And, um, and that meant owning myself as a witch, which that was a journey of many, many years being able to be open about my spirituality and to not be so afraid of all of the things that come through when you start to connect with um, specifically you know, ancient ancestral traditions, it can be really overwhelming and kind of scary. Um, but also being in a, an embodied practice, which allows for my illness to manifest cyclically, which it does, and allows me to be both healing, which I am, and also ill at the same time. Um, last fall, I experienced a kind of death. I thought I was dying. I was so severely ill. I couldn't leave my bed. I couldn't, I couldn't have light in the room. I couldn't talk for longer than a few minutes at a time. I couldn't walk without assistance. And that, um, coming back from that happened very quickly. I started taking medication and within a few days, I suddenly was well in a way that I hadn't been for years. And, um, and that being on the other side of that, you think, oh, I'm done. And then you're not done. And that's been part of claiming disability is just recognizing that this is an ongoing process. Our ancestors were not linear. They were very much cyclic and spiraling and there's a simultaneity to this initiatory process, which I think goes back into what you were saying about storytelling, where you can, you can be at a conclusion of something and not be ready to see it in, in some sort of positive light. I still am very upset by what happened to me, even though I'm empowered by it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, really great to hear. And I think that's true for myself and many of the listeners to to reach for that place of holding both i think that's really great thank you mm -hmm. <sighs> where to take this next i have so <laughs> many more questions um something i also really love about your work is how simple and really i don't mean simple as in actually there's nothing bad about simplicity <laughs> I love radical simplicity but I what I mean is I think when I look at your artwork and specifically the card that came beautifully through the post today it was a really great timing mm -hmm. um I just love the clarity it has and it doesn't overwhelm me visually I think is what I'm trying to say it means that I can really connect with the symbolism and really um take some of the intention in I'm really kind of like 
visually sensitive. My friends make fun of me like this wallpaper behind me, which people can't see. I'm living in a rented flat at the moment. And it is, I find it so overwhelming and like really unnecessary. It is this really quite intense pattern. And I tend to color coordinate every space that I'm in because I love entering a space and just being like, hmm. There's just oh, one color here. It's great. Anyway, this is a ramble to say, I would love to hear more about your creative process and what that looks like as you kind of work with the ebb and flow of your energy and your being and your inspiration. And then you make, you do make time for these beautiful things that you're making. How, how is that working? Well, the art heals me. I mean, that really is. And, and I knew this even before I became ill um, sometimes, again, this is one of the, the benefits of going through a really difficult illness is that you may end up with a lot of time. Um, I might not be able to sit and draw the way that I once did, but I find that having little incremental pieces, little bits of time as a practice every day is really um, what has helped me to be incredibly productive, surprisingly productive in the midst of, you know, so, so much illness. Um, I work with, you know, I, I do work with simplicity. It's pen and ink. It's just hand drawn line by line and, um, and it is a meditation. So that's really, um, it feeds me, you know, there's that concept of flow where you're just able to let go. And, and I do think that this is, I've always had trouble with standard meditation, but I do think that for some of us, having a kinetic aspect to the practice is really the thing that helps us enter that meditative state. And that's what I find with art, um, where at one point in time, I may have been able to work for, you know, four hours on a work of art. Now I'm medically limited i'm only supposed to do 15 hours a week of any sort of physical or cognitive activity so I'm like okay 10 minutes 10 minutes is good here we are 10 minutes um but my, what i've learned about creative practice is to just do it just do it even if it's a tiny little thing to to make it happen no matter what and that that is that is what my soul craves. And I think it is ultimately the purpose of being in this body, in this life is to make, just to make, even if nobody were to see it, even if it didn't go anywhere, it's to let it come through. That's so cool to hear that you're working with ink. I suddenly feel really inspired to try that too. I love writing with ink, but I haven't really ever drawn much with ink I think mm -hmm. mm, interesting that's exciting um my next question is um I love how you're talking about death transitions and I know that's a project you're also currently working on with your upcoming book and um I'm obviously really interested and fascinated by ritual and ceremonies and by marking time out of time in some way and by thinking about our life events beyond what is traditionally understood to be worth celebrating, like, you know, graduating high school and then getting married and having a baby and all those things. Um, partly because my life isn't working that way and I still want to celebrate myself. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> uh, and also because I just feel like re-enchanting the world is really important also as political resistance. So 
I would love to hear more about how you're understanding death tradition and how that's maybe different from, from life ceremonies. Mm. Can I just say, I love the phrase re-enchanting the world and that that delights my heart and it is absolutely an act of political resistance. It is reweaving the web. So thank you for saying that. That made my day. <laughs> um, so death transitions are rites of passage. So um, I actually, when I left university teaching for the first time because my illness was cyclic and multiple and I had lots of parenting duties and um, I have one child who's neuroatypical, another child who has an estranged parent. And so we have a lot of unique factors in our family. And these things don't make for a very professional, like smooth um, academic life. But the first time I stepped out of university teaching, I um, became a ceremonial celebrant. I thought, like we all do in capitalist culture, that you're my, you know, avocation was going to be my vocation. And I learned a lot about ritual, which was ultimately the goal as I see it now. Um, I found out very quickly that I did not want to be a professional celebrant. I love facilitating ritual and ceremonies. I don't, it's not my job, but I love facilitating and offering them. And what I learned is there's a difference between sustenance ceremonies, which are the supportive ceremonies that you know, we can enact on a daily basis to celebrate ourselves and to enrich our lives. And then there's rites of passage. And rites of passage are, all of them are death transitions, even if they're, um, you know, supposedly positive things. Like I just had a good friend have a baby a few days ago. And that is the perfect example in my life of nobody prepared me for having a child and having it be like, really, really transforming in these deep death honoring ways. And on the other side, you're standing there going, wow, I'm so delighted to be a parent and I don't feel happy. What is going on here? You know, and, and we don't have a way to integrate those experiences. And there was a, there's a book called Deeply Into the Bone where the author Ronald Grimes talks about the need to have ceremonies to honor these big life passages. Otherwise he talks about spiritual sinkholes, which just kind of eat us up over time because we don't have a way of integrating on a psychological level or a spiritual level, these big changes that have happened to us. So a rite of passage, you separate from the known world, you know, and this can be, um, it, it, it can happen in so many different forms. I mean, I'll use my illness as an example. When I became sick, I suddenly moved out of anything that I had ever known before. I was in this untenable realm that was amorphous. I had no beginning and no end any longer. My life did not make sense. And that's how you know you're going into a rite of passage. Um, in the middle, you have this initiatory process and rites of passage can be multiple and simultaneous. So you can have a lot of things that you're moving through at the same time. And that's where you can support yourself by getting really clear on what, what you need to root and ground into so that you can sustain 
the death that is coming your way. Martin Shaw, the storyteller, says that in a rite of passage, we have to go into the underworld and something has to die there. You have to leave something behind. You can't just take it all with you. And if you don't let something die, then you'll repeat it again and again and again. And I've done that. <laughs> that has happened. Mm -hmm. And it's really painful because it doesn't get easier every time. It gets harder. But if you let go of whatever it is that needs to die, then you emerge and you come into this new form where you have a new status. The tradition says you have a new name and you are able to bring this transition to your community with your new status and your new name and you carry wisdom from that experience. We go through so many rites of passage that, you know, the only ones that we celebrate in this culture are you know, marriage, like you said, or college gra or graduation or uh, death. So you, you get like three, but there's <laughs> so many, there's mm -hmm. beginning of relationships and end of relationships and starting, a, you know, a, a one kind of employment and ending that kind of employment. And of course, all of the cycles of the body and the cycles of um, raising children. And I, there's an infinite number of possibilities we expect these transitions to, you know, with the exception of, of transitions where we really identify them as death, like death <laughs> or divorce, you know, the ones that we think of as negative, we expect them to be somehow positive, but, you know, all of those major rites of passage can be really hard and they can also take so much out of you and culturally when you're expected to just slap on a smile and proceed as planned um, we might not be able to do that and I think that that's for me trying to navigate rites of passage without the appropriate ceremonies really put me in a very fragile state psychologically and started the roots of so much of my mental health issues were rooted in the inability to integrate my rites of passage. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yes <laughs> I was just nodding along with my whole body I think that makes so much sense to me and I'm really excited to share this and if that's okay I would like to illustrate this with a story of my own and I would to do so very briefly mention sexual violence without being graphic about it. is that okay mm -hmm. yeah, cool. so just inviting everyone who's listening also to check in with themselves if they um, are okay listening to this understanding that you can always come back to this another time and I won't go beyond mentioning briefly what happened but I really relate so much to what you said of this like understanding either traumatic events or big life transitions as this journey into the underworld and I've really seen so vividly in the last few years in my life that the awareness of that happening makes it so much easier mm -hmm. um, so much easier. So two years ago in the winter, um, I was sexually assaulted and obviously it brought up so much stuff that had happened to me in the past. Um, I was so deeply heartbroken and frustrated to have that happen again, um, having come to a place as an elder where I told myself the story of like, oh, this is behind me now. This will never happen again. And for some reason, I believed myself to be, I don't know, um, 
not part of this culture, I guess, you know, and it is a very common experience, but I was divorced from that reality. Um, but when it happened, I really, I mean, I was in shock for a little bit, but then I really was like, okay, I think I'm going to have to embrace some level of madness in myself the next few months. And I was accepting that I didn't sleep well, that I needed a lot of support around communication, that I needed to find new ways around having boundaries around my body. And it was a really intentional process. And it doesn't mean that wasn't, that was therefore easy, but it was so much more supported. And, um, and I think what I really had to grieve, and I think I hear that merit in your story and the way you speak about identity and how we move forward is like, I really needed to let go of being someone who has a very effortless, very playful sexuality all of the time. And that was big, you know, like, because that's, it is a beautiful thing to have, I think, can be very life-giving, it can be full of pleasure. And I needed to become someone who has, uh, in a way, sometimes painfully, beautifully, painfully reclaimed sexuality, which is, you know, just as rich, if not even more, and if not even more powerful, but that was a real thing. And I think had I not had this language and this concept of going into the underworld and understanding ritual as this three-part process of like going in and being in this liminality of not really being in the darkest and not knowing or understanding what kind of physical pleasure or what kind of feeling of safety could be beyond that. And then, and then making space also for integration, that would have been way harder. So thank you so much for sharing so many tools and ideas around yeah, these processes. I'm really excited to take your uh, self-initiation class next and to kind of look at this process again through someone else as I. So, yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that story. How powerful to recognize that process as you're going through it. That's, you know, so much of um, this work around ritual education has come in retrospect mm. for me, you know? And so it is, it is the gift of a lifetime, I think, to be in a death transition and know that you're in it, to know, even when it is so painful, that and first of all, that you're in a cycle, mm-hmm. that this is a cycle, and that you can, you can draw on those resources to weave in this support that you need as you make the descent. And how incredible would it be to, to have those teachings mm-hmm. early in life? <laughs> yeah wouldn't that be great <laughs> yeah, <huh? laughs> yes oh well um you know there's so many generations yet to come and time yes. is such a funny concept anyway but yeah thank you um whew, I I really love kind of looking through your Instagram feed again the ways in which you have found the possibility to bring magic into and ritual in your into your life in situations where you didn't have a ton of energy or resources and you weren't like you know gathering with 20 really cool people in some kind of retreat somewhere <laughs> under the full moon <laughs> to make some kind of magic which no shame on that that's cool if you mm-hmm. can do it but I would love to hear a little bit more about how you've brought enchantment into these darker places um with little resources because that's so inspiring mm. 
I would love to gather with 20 people under the moon. It just, I mean, I always say, please invite me, but I probably won't come. <laughs> um, I, you know, bringing ritual, I was thinking about this this morning because I have, I have a lot of daily rituals now and they're not hard and fast. My life is very, my brain is so transformed by my illness because I had a lot of neuroinflammation and it changed the gray matter in my brain. So I don't, I'm not, I'm really literally not the same person that I was before. So I can't hold anything too hard and fast, which is at first was incredibly frustrating. But then when I let go of trying to do that, it becomes quite wonderful. And so ritual to me is anything done with intention, meaning that I don't need to have anything special with me to make a ritual. I can make one right now. Here we are. Um, rituals tend to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And um, I have my own little process that I go through to clear my energy and to call in the directions and to um, bring in my ancestors. And then maybe we'll have one symbolic action and then close it up. And that was really helpful to me when I was lying in bed for many months to be able to continue. Um, I had a period of time where I could not read or write, which as a, a writer and a reader, that was really difficult. I couldn't draw, um, but I could still ritualize. I could still clear my energy. I could still connect with the natural world through breath and those little tiny demarcations in my day. I call it ritualizing the routine. Like, what do you do every day? Well, I brush my teeth. Well, can I make that a ritual? Of course you can. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I've found. I mean, that's really been the thing that has changed my life is more than anything else that I've done in the last 20 years is just finding a way to make everyday things sacred, just with intention. That's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Um, one more thing I would love to ask you is the story of how you renamed yourself. Um, I've renamed myself too. And I love, I loved hearing you talk about that in other podcast episodes. And I'm just really wanting to spread the message about that possibility of like, you can totally name yourself. That's a thing. Yes, <laughs> yes you can. And in many, many cultures, um, you know, People name themselves when they come into adulthood. That's really, really common. And one of the unquestioned vestiges of patriarchy that is everywhere in us is patrilineal naming. Mm. We, are, we carry our father's names. And if you've done any genealogy work, it's really hard to find the women. Mm. It's hard to find them. And I have had a lot of frustration around that in, in following my mother line and trying to find my people is I can find the men. In fact, I have, you know, like a packet of male genealogy that was put together, you know, a hundred years ago. It's great. You can follow them all the way back in mm -hmm. Norway, but, but the women come from everywhere and then they disappear. And mm -hmm. that made me decide that I wanted my own name. So this was, in 2008, I finally took my own name. I had been divorced and um, I was doing a lot of, you know, kind of my portal into my spiritual path started with goddess spirituality. And so um, I loved the idea of the goddess Vesta. 
I loved that, um, you know, her temple was so celebrated and that there were, you know, the Vestal virgins were women that were whole unto themselves. They were of service to the goddess and that's what I wanted to be. And so um, my name, Lara, which is my mother's name for me is, um, is Roman too. So I thought, why not? We'll just be Lara Vesta. And I kept my middle name, which is Irene, which is my great grandmother's name. Um, when I made it through this last initiation, I took on the name Valeda, which the Valeda is a, a Germanic um, oracle. She was, they don't know if it's actually her name or a title that was given to um, women who were oracles who um, were able to divine. Um, the Valeda was actually captured by the Romans, so there's a very odd synergy in there that she could have actually maybe gone to the Temple of Vesta, um, but it felt important to bring that ancient Germanic magic back into, um, back into my name, and I love having my own name. I got a lot of resistance to it from specifically the male members of my family. Um, they were very sad that I would lose that name. The irony being that my family name, which is Vesnes, which is a town in Norway, Vesnes, was not even the family name because mm -hmm. the naming traditions of Scandinavia have nothing to do with place names that was given to my ancestor at Ellis Island. He was Peter Larsson, Peter Lars' son. <laughs> And he was from Vesnes. So we have these attachments that we just don't even question. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to start questioning them and feel like, you know, naming is the first magic. Naming is the beginning. When we mm -hmm. name something, we give it life. So why wouldn't we name ourselves? Yes. <laughs> yes, totally. I would love to talk to you for many more hours, but I want to appreciate our energy levels and everyone's attention span. And also, if you were up for it, I would love to talk to you again, because I'm beginning a series of second interviews where we can expand on the first one, which feels really exciting. But before we go, I really want to make some time to talk about what you're offering, because you're offering so many beautiful things. And you have found such a really beautiful way of making your work accessible, ensuring that you have more regular income, which I know as a business owner is so important. And yeah, it's really community based. So can can we hear more? Yes, of course. And I would love to come back and talk to you again. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> So I have a, a, a Patreon, which you are a member, and there's lots of different levels. It starts at a dollar. Um, for a dollar, people get to come in and I, I tell stories um, every moon. I've been really apprenticing myself to myths. So it's, it's supposed to be every moon, but it's, it, we're not linear there either. Um, <laughs> but I offer rituals and a lot of resources, things that I'm thinking about and talking about. I have a witch wound healing circle, which will be coming up with, um, with a guest who is an eco-psychologist. And we'll be talking about ecological grief that will be coming up in the first week of November. Um, and I'm starting, I have a, a rune class, which everyone can access all of the classes at my school, the wild soul school, um, with the exception of the witch wound circle and 
um, and this class I'm going to talk about in a minute are available by donation. So there's no financial barriers to the self-study classes, which is really important for me as a person who's had a lot of financial limitation. I want people to access this work. Um, and that's how a lot of people find me is through the school and then they come and become patrons and then we're in community together, which is really um, wonderful. But live experiences I found I have to charge for because they're just too demanding of my time and energy. And um, so I have a, a patron coven called Coven Invisible and they are able to participate in the Witch Wound Healing Circle. And then I'm going to be running a, a Gnosis group, which is the first part of a, a rune class that I've offered. And class is a very loose term. It's actually a, a rune meditation or a rune relationship building um, exercise. And that will be coming up at the end of November. So there's a couple of live experiences, which are pretty rare for me, but I've found that with the, the community on Patreon, it's so easy to show up because everyone knows who I am and that I've been ill and that sometimes I have to cancel and sometimes plans change and it's okay. And that's, that's been quite wonderful. And all of the patrons are supporting right now, the creation of these two books, one being the dark goddess book, which is interactive and handwritten and the other being, um, a book called Coven Invisible, which is a, a memoir and myth, I'm calling it, which is kind of the story of this journey um, to self through disability. Mm -hmm. I am so honored to be part of that and really excited for what's to come. And I would also, I mean, I will link to everything in the show notes, but uh, can we hear where your website is and if you are on Instagram? I mean, I know you are, but tell us your handle please yes i'm i'm um Valeda vesta on instagram and my website is laravesta.co and my patreon is i think patreon.com backslash lara Valeda vesta mm -hmm. and cool yeah. thank you so much that will all be in the show notes our time has passed so quickly yeah. it's just like <laughs> like five minute chat we, it was really really beautiful to talk to you and I'm so grateful for everything that you shared and your time and your energy and yeah it's just been really really beautiful to connect with you thank you so much oh you're so welcome this has been my pleasure thank you so much for inviting me thank you